Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. And then finally, you can start talking about executing and being at your best. And I think that's where I kind of, when I was a freshman, I skipped all that stuff. I skipped the spirit. I skipped the will. I skipped the position mastery. And I was, okay, I'm, I'm able to execute. That's what a lot of people do today. They, they skip all the steps, but they want to be at their best when their best is needed, which is probably anytime you're out there or anytime you're working or anytime you're in a big situation. And that, that year set me up for success the rest of my college. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. So my next guest on this week's episode of The Shark Effect is Ifo Ekpre Olumu. So I've known Ifo for maybe, shoot, maybe about like eight years. And I, um, I've always watched him play football. He played at the University of Oregon where he was a two-time All-Pac-10 uh, first-team defensive back and a, th- a three-time All-American at the, at the collegiate level. But I got a chance to, uh, to see him. And when, when my son was going through being recruited uh, at Oregon, Elijah, my son was a, was a little pipsqueak freshman. <laughs> and we went to University of Oregon, I think it was before one of their games, and we went to go talk to, to Coach Neal, which is, um, which is uh, well, he was a defensive back coach and defensive coordinator at University of Oregon. And got a chance to meet and talk with Efo, and you know my son was over the moon meeting him. He was always uh, 
a big uh, inspiration, you know, uh, when it came to, to the football world. But um, I, I've known Efo for a while. Uh, he ended up, um, well, I'm, I'm not going to get into it because, you know, we have a story and I want him to, to kind of get into it. But I've got, a, I've got a chance to see him, not just a man on the football field, but a person off of it. And I'm very impressed by him and, and, uh, and how he shows up. So with that being said, Efo, welcome to the Shark Effect. Thanks for having me, Alex. Really appreciate it. And thanks for the introduction, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. It, it, you know, it's funny. You know, when we played at the University of Oregon, we played at different eras, right? And mm -hmm. I was, I guess, I was the old school Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you came up on the scene and you were the new, the new school version. And I look at your body and I look at my body. And then what's funny is my kids, when they first saw you, they was like, Dad, he's built like you. Look at him. He got long arms. He has a short torso and long legs. Yep. <laughs> but, but still not being the still not being the tallest athlete. But that just goes to show you, man, size is, is just one thing of being a, a football player. Am I correct? Mm -hmm. Man, you're you're 100% right. I used to always kind of mess around with a lot of my teammates back in the day, and I would be like, I mean, I'm 5'10", but if the dude's not 6'3", at least, I mean, he's not eye level with me, and that was just kind of my whole mindset. I played like I was 6'4", 6, 6'3", so some, any sunny one that wasn't that height, I always felt I was looking above him or I was on top of him. Mm. Did, did, um, did smaller receivers kind of – kind of give you um, a different would, way of thinking? I would definitely say smaller receivers are always more challenging just because of the separation. Obviously, at the end of the day, you got to catch the ball, which is what the big guys do best. They go up and catch the ball, whether they're covered or not. But the smaller guys, it's always a little bit something extra at the line of scrimmage. So you have to kind of think about plans and then a backup plan and then an idea if they give you a counter movement because those guys, once they get one step on you, they're gone. And I, I always felt like the shiftier guys were always more, I would say I'd have to spend more time definitely watching their game and understanding what they do versus the taller guys. They just kind of want to throw you around because they see your size, but then they get into the game and realize that I'm a lot stronger than we look. Absolutely. So, um, you know, talking about that, like you said something about preparation, right? Watching mm -hmm. film, can we dive in a little bit of that? Like, how did you prepare? So preparation is it's funny because when you first get to college, you're doing everything and more, which was really funny. Like, I remember I was a freshman, and we played in the Rose Bowl. And actually, that was my first start of my college career. We were playing against Russell Wilson in Wisconsin. And uh, we had a senior guy, John Boyek. He was big into film study. I'm talking about 100 pages of notes for each team and I was I was one of those guys that freshman year I was like John let me see everything so I just got overwhelmed with information I remember that was one of my worst games because I was thinking so much through it and after that year I kind of went backwards and kind of reevaluated the way that I studied the game and I started just looking at tendencies first I would always kind of watch formations and see what plays are ran from certain formations and from there I'll look at obviously receivers alignment and their releases that they like to do but the big key is really pre-snap recognition that helped me become I feel like the player I was at one point 
pre-snap recognition. What is that? Pre-snap is everything before the quarterback says hike. So that can be the way a receiver lines up, the quarterback's posture, the offensive linemen, their stance. Are they heavy on their hands if it's run is, or if it's pass and they're sitting back? All those things you look at and you can get a great tip of what options the offense is actually going to do that play. And once you – I mean, at the end of the day, if you're on defense and you're playing at that college or professional level, probably 75% of the time you know what possible plays they can run out of what they line up in. And just being able to even get an extra 5% can make a huge difference in plays that you can make and plays that you don't make. So even before the ball is snapped, you trying to tell me it's not about how fast you run a 40 or how high your vertical is? <laughs> I mean, that, that definitely helps, but definitely not, yeah. And you can, you can be the fastest guy on the team, but if you don't know how to get out of breaks and you don't know about anticipation and understanding Route combinations, you might run a 4-3, but you're going to play like you run a 4-6 versus the guy that runs a 4-7, and he plays so fast that he's a 4-7 guy on the 40, but a 4-3 guy on film, which is the most important thing. People don't really realize how important understanding the game is versus I'm just going to go run hills and, and do sprints and backpedal and run around cones and you really realize that how much time are you spending on actually becoming a student of the game? Becoming a student of the game. So, I, so what I'm hearing is, is it's not just about ability, but it's about like knowledge, right? Gaining knowledge. I agree. Gaining knowledge. knowledge and confidence. Knowledge builds confidence. And the more knowledge you get, the more confident you are in your ability. Say that one more time, Efo. Say for the people in the back. <laughs> knowledge gains confidence. The more knowledge you gain, the more confident you are going to be in your ability. And it's, it's weird when you see a lot of guys, they, they don't understand that they think it's the other way around, that I'm going to become a better player by going out on the field every day, but then I don't know my coverages or my plays or what to do and any of my checks. It's like you can't play that way. Mm, that's, that's deep. I love that. So, Ifo, tell us a little bit about your background, man. Where are you from? Yeah, um, I'm from Southern California. My mom and dad were actually born, both uh, born and raised in Nigeria. They came to the United States uh, late teens, early 20s. And I mean, my mom and dad, they came with a couple dollars to their name. So I think that's kind of what led to just my whole overall work ethic growing up. Grew up in Chino, California. I remember in junior high, Everyone playing Pop Warner. I was a really good player, and I was getting recruited. Well, I'm somewhat recruited by multiple different schools. And I remember I transferred to Chino Hills High School, which is a pretty well-known school now because of their basketball program. Hold on, hold at on. Time, Being was, recruited to high school. Yeah, high school. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, at that time, I was one of those. I was, I was playing. I remember the one thing kind of going backwards, my mom. She took me to football trials. I think I was in fourth grade. And uh, finally, she let me play. My brother played uh, growing up, and he's, he's about seven years older than me. So I grew up watching him play all the time. And, I mean, I love watching him play. So I was like, yeah, I want to do everything he does. And my mom took me to sign-ups finally when I was in fourth grade. And it was funny. We thought sign-ups started, I think, at like 8 a.m. Not coming to realize that people were lined up at 4.30 in line. 4.30 what? To sign up to play the, on the team. because A.M. or P.M.? A.M. 
Hey. Lined up, lined up to sign up to be on a football team. At I 4 30 no a.m. I thought you just signed up, signed a paper, and you just play. And it's different, I guess, in Southern California. So Goodness you get gracious. And we find out there's 200 and 300 people in line. So we get in line. I finally wait hours. We finally get to the front of the line. And they're like, well, there's no more spots on the fourth grade team. If your son wants to play, he can play with the sixth graders. So at that time, I was like, I've never played football. I'm Hold nervous. On. Hold so on. Fourth, you're like, in fourth grade. Fine, he'll play. You, you, hold on. You're in fourth grade. Yeah. And you, and you have to play. If you want to play football, you got to play if, with the sixth graders. Correct. If I wanted to play for my city at that time, which is right down the street from my house, I had to play with the sixth graders, which is two years ahead of me. So it was hilarious because at that time, I remember I didn't want to touch anybody. I wanted to play free safety, and I didn't want to touch. I didn't want to touch the soul. Didn't want to hit anybody. Not, not tackle, but touch. No tackling anything. So I'm standing back there. I was, that's where I think I really started working on ball skills. But then the next year, I got put on the same team again. And the following year, I was on the same team again. So three years in a row, I was playing with the same kids. Well, with the same age group, but all the other kids were going up in divisions and I was staying at the same division. And yeah. I think that's what built my confidence in just kind of leadership mentality because I was able to play with that same coach for three years and ended up eventually being a leader. And from that point, I think that helped me be okay with, I'm okay transferring to another school with kids that I don't know, that I'm uncertain about. And I went to Chino Hills High School. I ended up, I think my freshman year, we had a really good season. Our team went undefeated. The next year, we got put on varsity. And I remember we had to all tell our team our goals, what we wanted to accomplish or what you want to do. And I remember at that time, I told them, no plays on varsity. I want to go to Oregon. I want to get a scholarship to Oregon. And I remember a bunch of kids because they didn't really know me. What grade were you at? That what was, grade were you? That was going into my sophomore year of high school. Going into your sophomore year, you, you knew you wanted to go to be a duck. Yeah, there was only I'm growing up. I mean, I was I loved the Ducks, and then I loved, I, well, at that time I loved Reggie Bush and USC. So that was like my early childhood, kind of when they left, the Ducks kind of took over. So I just grew up watching them. So I at that point it was I knew I wanted to to go to the Ducks unless and something else happened in that situation. But I remember, literally after my sophomore year, I ended up I think I had like ten nine or ten interceptions and. I ended up getting offered by Oregon. And the day that I told everybody that I wanted to go to Oregon, most of the guys on the team laughed. Because they, they had no idea who I was. I didn't make any plays, none of that. And literally eight months later, I had an offer to Oregon. And that just let me know right away that work, work ethic and hard work really does pay off. I mean, it may not pay off as fast as that situation, but if you put in the work and you consistently – trust the process and you consistently be true to yourself and be honest with yourself, it really does pay off. So I, I ended up committing to Oregon, I think my senior year. So I waited two more years. I got to Oregon and well, on, I was a, Hold on one second. So you weren't afraid, even when you was a sophomore, you weren't afraid to tell everybody your ambitions or your goals. Nope. You, I mean, you put it out there. When you put it yeah. out there, that's for everybody to look at and, and your critique and criticize and, but you weren't afraid. Yeah. Why, I think, why is that? I don't know. I think that's just kind of how I've always been. Like, if I tell other people, it holds me to a higher standard. Then I know that I just, I hate going back on my word. So it's like, if I tell somebody I want to do something, then 
I'm going to do everything I can to try to get to that point. And I might, may not get it, but I'm not going to let them see me not moving towards that goal. So I think when I told my teammates and my friends that, then it kind of just changed the whole way that I trained, the way I prepared, everything I knew that. I mean, whether you're in high school and you say it's not, it's still a job. I mean, if you don't have a real job, you're playing sports as your job. And I started treating it like a job early. And I think that's why I had a lot of success. So I ended up getting a scholarship and I committed to Oregon two years after that. So I went through the whole process of being recruited and all that. And I, I knew at the end of the day that I went, took an official visit to Oregon as a senior and I ended up only taking one visit and I knew that was going to be the school for me. Oh, wow. So yeah. this is so interesting, man, because I just had a conversation with one of my good friends. He, uh, he reached out to me and he wanted me to talk to his son and his son is, um, he plays baseball out in, out in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just wanted me to give him some insights and what it takes and what made me kind of different at an early age. And, you know, some of the things that you're that you're touching on, Efo, is, is right on the spot. You know, I told him, I said, look, one of the things that, that gave me the, the amount of success that I had, and I didn't really see it. I didn't really have a vision. I want to play in college, um, but I didn't know what it really took. So what mm-hmm. I did is I just prepared like mentally everything I did I did it at a much higher level like I was more serious like like I was I imagined myself being in college and so what did those college athletes do well they worked out three or four hours a day and they watched film through two three hours a day so I just started doing that I started treating like I like I was already there yeah and it sounds like that you that's good that you were able to do that by yourself because I was lucky enough. I had a coach that told us so much about college. He went to Weber State and he explained how hard it was to play at Weber State. So we were thinking that playing at the University of Oregon is like playing in the NFL. So we were doing stuff that was above and beyond over and over and over. And I was lucky enough to have somebody like that. To, so to hear that you were able to do that on your own, that's really impressive. Give me one thing. Like, what did you guys do? You talk about doing over and over again. What so was one, of one the, thing, uh, like, can we keep going back to the mental preparation? I remember we would finish practice at six o'clock and I didn't drive at the time. I didn't have a car. So one of my friends on the team, he would wait for me and take me home every day because we had a transfer that school. So we were about 25, 30 minutes away. And um, this coach, uh, Lamar Mickey, his son actually now is one of the top players in California at corner as a sophomore. And he would literally have us from six o'clock to eight o'clock practice would be over. And he would just talk about life, talk about preparation, talk about being a great man, talking about how to provide for your family stuff like that. And that was so consistent. I remember at the time we were always pissed because it's sunny when practice is over. And then by the time we're done with this talk, it's dark outside and everyone's gone. And we would be pissed at the, the talks. But now as you grow up, I got to college, I started thinking about all the stuff that he talked about. And literally everything we talked about, the guys that were juniors, seniors in college had no idea. Mm. And I just felt like that set me up ahead of all those guys. When I got to, finally got to Oregon, I just look, had a different mindset and a different approach. Look at that. I yes. wasn't the highest rated player, but I ended up getting there. And I was like, there's nobody here that was as good as me. Mm-hmm. That was, man, that's, that's so cool for somebody to, uh, in your life to be able to, uh, to give you like life skills and give you yeah. like, 
leadership skills. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's great. So, uh, okay, so tell me like your days in Oregon. Yeah, so I got to Oregon, I think 2011-2012 season. I mean, in high school we won, but we weren't the best team ever, so I wasn't used to what happened at Oregon. I think we lost maybe six games in my career. And being on a team like that, I played with some of the best players in Oregon history, Marcus Mariota, the only Heisman winner. And we had a lot of success, like, early on. I think my freshman year, I was one of the only no, guys no, that – You lost six games while you was at Oregon? I think six or seven games we lost in combined four years, which is – Yeah, I lost six games my first year at Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I lost, we lost seven, I think. <laughs> God, dog. How okay. far Oregon came now. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah, when I yeah. went there, they wasn't – they, they was at the bottom. They was probably better than Oregon State. That was about it. Now, I never, I never saw Oregon on TV. You know, uh, back wow. in the, in the uh, late 90s – oh, excuse me, late 80s, early 90s, it was all about U, USC and yep. UCLA. But, yep, wow, that's okay. What, that's what it, – it's still crazy to think about that – stuff like you took all those all that winning granted you win so much that you think it's just supposed to be there and then now you kind of see the fall off after Mariota left how the team had to really struggle to get back to where they are now but I got to Oregon had a lot of success as a freshman I ended up not redshirting so I played I did a bunch of special teams I remember my first game in college I went from high school 3,000 4,000 fans to, we were playing LSU at Cowboy Stadium with 100,000 fans. So I'm running down kickoff, and you just realize, like, dang, you really – I'm really here. Like, you went from playing with two guys that went to scholarship to playing against Tyron Matthew and Morris Claiborne in the best corners in the country. So I remember I was always one of those guys freshman year. I just watched good players. Now I had a lot of time to sit on the sideline. So I watched good players, and I saw what they did. And eventually my last game of my freshman year – we got a senior guy. He had a battling a bunch of injuries. So coach made a situ uh, made a proposal. Whoever plays best in uh, in the you know how they do the off the December whole period before your bowl game. So whoever's playing yep. the best yep. through that period was going to start in the Rose Bowl. So I ended up getting the start in the Rose Bowl as a true freshman, and we're playing against Russell Wilson, and we end up winning like forty eight. Hold, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> hold on, I remember that game, but hold on. So. So you didn't start uh, that year? No, I played a lot, like, as the season progressed. We had guys like Cliff Harris and uh, Terrence Mitchell and a bunch of guys that played the year before. So I was actually the only defensive back in my recruiting class that went to Oregon that year. They had about four uh, retro freshmen before me. So I ended up. Playing a bunch, playing a bunch, but not very much. And then all of a sudden, I'm playing a lot, and it's the Rose Bowl. And Russell Wilson definitely gave me a, a long day, kind of long day. Oh, hold on, I, I'm still, was, I'm still like, I'm still <laughs> shocked about this. Like, you know, it's still like open, basically open season after your last game, and then leading up to well, the because bowl. senior starting corner, he has battling shoulder injuries. And I think they just made a decision that he wasn't going to play in the game. I can't even remember back then now. But I think that's what happened. And at that point, it was me or another guy. Troy what Hill year was, was this? That was 2011, the 2012 Rose Bowl. 
So it was okay. me and another guy, Troy Hill. He's actually the starting corner for the Rams now. And we're battling the for the other cornerback spot. So I ended up getting the spot and I ended up giving up. I think I gave up two touchdowns that game. Bad discipline. Just bad discipline stuff that to today I teach every single time I do a drill. I discipline finishing the play. And that was two things I didn't do that game. And you're you're young. And that's what really motivated me. I think my entire career, that, that one game made me the player I am and I think the person I am because that was the first time I had to look myself in the mirror and like, dang, whatever I'm doing right now wasn't good enough to play here. And I think that changed my whole mindset. I kind of went away from like, you know, you see all the cone drills and the, and the dance routines and all that stuff. I had great feet. I could move my feet, not super fast, but and what didn't translate to playing against the best players. And I went from that to the next year. I got two guys, I think it was about two or three guys, and we worked together. Because in college, the difference between college and high school, there's nobody there to tell you anymore. You have to work harder or you have to do extra work or you have to do anything. It's all self-motivated. And that's where you really find out how much you really love what you do. And I think that's sophomore is probably when I realized that I love, love football and I'm going to be around football probably my entire life. Because, yeah, yeah no, go ahead. No, no, I was, um, I, I want to get to that, you know, you giving up two touchdowns in the Rose Bowl in front of 100,000 people, <laughs> your mom, your parents, I mean, everybody, your brothers, sisters in the stands, or they're watching. I know I was watching that game, and I don't remember that, but that's a, that's a teachable moment, right, when we yeah. go down you, you, something that negative, something that was negative. And you had the mindset and it stung so bad that you never wanted to repeat that again. Yep. And, and how that drove you and how still like what, nine, eight, nine years later, that still is in your brain and you teach, you teach what, um, what you didn't apply every time mm -hmm. you're, every time you're coaching these, these young athletes. Yeah, because I remember at that time, my coach used to always talk to us about preparation. How do you become your best when your best is needed? And we played in that Rose Bowl game, and that was when my best was needed, and I wasn't the best at that point, at my best, I mean. And I've kind of lived by that whole process now. You, gotta, you have to be – you have to – what's it called? Find position mastery, but the only way to find position mastery, you have to find the spirit and the will to be able to do anything it takes to grind to get to where you want to be. And then finally, you can start talking about executing and being at your best. And I think that's where I kind of, when I was a freshman, I skipped all that stuff. I skipped the spirit. I skipped the will. I skipped the position mastery. And I was, okay, I'm, I'm able to execute. That's what a lot of people do today. They, they skip all the steps, but they want to be at their best when their best is needed, which is probably any time you're out there or any time you're working or any time you're in a big situation. And that, that year set me up for success the rest of my college career. I ended up being a first-team all-conference player as a sophomore. I think I was somewhat all-American on some stuff. I was junior. I was all-American. I was a first-team all-conference player. And then I had a choice as a junior if I wanted to uh, declare for a draft or if I wanted to stay for one more year. I ended up picking, I ended up staying for one more year, going into my, staying in my senior year. And I know that was a big thing. Everyone kind of asked at the time, why did I do that? I had a second round grade. So I mean, obviously you can make some good money going to the NFL. And I just remember my whole life, my fair, my family, we weren't big. Like they weren't always on my 
head about academics, but that was something that was important to him. And I told my mom and dad that I'll finish up college and I told them that to begin with. And it kind of went back to what you pulled in your word. And I ended up staying one more year, ended up graduating the first term. So it took me about three years in one term. So I remember we get into football year. I'm taking classes like literally you're taking anything. I'm already done with school. So taking like full, underwater folk dancing and, and all this random stuff. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Hey, you took folk dancing. No, folk, it was like a folklore class where you had to learn about like some crazy, crazy stuff from like the old, old times. And it was, it was ridiculous. I, I don't know why, how they got me set up for that thing. Hey, that's okay. You know what? I took stretching. I took stretch and flex. <laughs> it's <laughs> stretch and flex. That's just the, that on the ground. The stretching. Yep. Stretch and flex. Yeah. I did a yoga class actually that senior year, but I, it was too hard. I was sore on game day. So I had to cancel. Okay. <laughs> but so yeah, the senior, my senior year, I ended up playing through the whole year. I was first team all conference and I leading up into the Rose Bowl. We were that year. I think we went 12 and one or yeah, 12 and one or something. So we were going to play Florida state in the semifinals game. Finally made it to the playoffs. So we're back. It's going to play against Jameis Winston. who was the eventual number one pick in the draft that year. And I ended up dislocating my knee at practice. Mm. They kind of, I know at that point I was, I was just kind of like the why, why did this happen to me? What's the reason behind this? I felt like I did everything I could to take care of my body and this and that. But then you walk, you like look back and you see it. I mean, it's a freak action that you can't control. And at that time you're so hurt and you're like, dang, I'm so close to where I want to be. And at that time you have so much uncertainty because at that, I think it was, Late December, I had surgery on Christmas Eve. And it was at that point, I'm thinking a knee dislocation. Uh, so going before, before the surgery, I'm thinking a knee dislocation is like you dislocated your finger. Like, oh, they all, it pops back into place and you'll be fine, but it'll hurt for a while. Yeah. Come to find out that I tore all four ligaments in my knee, my LCL, MCL, PCL, ACL, and... I go to a couple doctors and I go, and you got I one think, more than me. Yeah. That's all hamstring yeah. tendon. And the craziest part about the dislocation is that this happened to a few other guys playing in the NFL. And when mine happened, I was actually holding my leg up. I remember I was on the ground that they were screaming to get the trainers over. And I kind of dropped my leg for some reason. It felt like it weighed a ton and I dropped it and my knee popped back into place. And the doctor today like, still says that that saved my arteries, saved nerve damage, saved a bunch of things that could have been to the point where you only have one leg. And, yeah, and I mean, that's just a, a God blessing that, I mean, at the time, you don't even know, like, the effects of what it could be. So I get the surgery, and they tell me at that point I'm gonna, they're going to fix my LCL and MCL, which is our lateral ligaments, and um, in three and a half months they're going to do my ACL. So I'm like, whatever it takes, but this is during the NFL draft process. So you got to remember, I'm going to the combine. I'm going to all these events. I'm going to see teams. And I don't, I don't even have an ACL or, or PCL in my legs still. So they're just asking me so much uncertainty. When are you going to be able to play again? When are you going to be able to do this? When are you going to be able to do that? And I, so we finally get to draft day. And I think I have probably one of the weirdest draft day. Of, uh, so my projection was anywhere between the second round in the seventh round. So okay. that means you'll get, we see you getting drafted, possibly. So 
I go, so at that point, I think some teams had me completely off of their board because they just don't know their uncertainty. I just think during the draft, I was maybe a month and a half, two months post-surgery for my ACL, which is the second surgery I had to have for this dislocation. And um, so I end up, we had like ESPN, a bunch of places. They were there to, to do like the draft day, whole video stuff they do. And I ended up not getting drafted the first day, not getting drafted the second day leading up all the way until the third day goes to the seventh round and I ended up getting called by a bunch of teams like we want to bring you in as a free agent this and that and literally the next second I get drafted by the Cleveland Browns mm-hmm. so I talked to the Cleveland Browns all this and that they explained to me that I'm not going to be playing at all this year I'm just going to be rehabbing training doing all this stuff so that's kind of the first point I think that I finally got confidence again that someone wanted to give me an opportunity and they still believe that I could still be a player that I know I could be. So I get to that point. I get to the Browns. We go through the whole season. I get. To, I was able to actually learn because the toughest part is being injured. You probably know in the NFL is when you're injured, it's almost like you don't really feel like you're on the team because you're doing so much stuff separate than the team. Yeah. So I kind of – I remember I talked to you about that. It was really important about engagement. I think that was the first time in my life that – I mean, I always – I'm not afraid to talk to people, but I wasn't the guy that was seeking out conversation or seeking out to learn from other people. I I didn't mind talking, but I wasn't me at that time in college, especially. And that was the first time I was able to talk with guys that have been there, done that guys like Joe Hayden, Shimon Williams, guys that have played years in the NFL and have been successful on and off the field. And you learn so much about how they explain that you have to build relationships and you have to use those relationships because in the long term, those guys, people want to help you and they want to help you if you're able to ask for help. And that's wanna... thought that was, it's still really simple to hear those words, but as a young adult, you don't really understand that. And that takes a lot of courage, right? That takes courage to be able to open up and, and ask, you know, ask people for, for advice or for, or for guidance. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage. And as like a, a football player at that time, you have a lot of pride, a lot of really prideful athletes. And you feel sometimes like asking somebody and becoming vulnerable is something that you shouldn't do. But when you do do it, you learn that there's reasons why some of the most successful people in the world have a team and they use people around them to become a better person. And that's kind of something that I've learned how important it is that to have other people that you can't do everything on your own. Mm. Let me ask you, how do you structure your life now? Now, I mean, I, I try how to, does your day look like? How do you structure oh, it? My day, my typical day, I mean, now I'm still trying to do the same thing I used to do. I used to wake up early. I would, so now I'm waking up like 5.30, 5, 5.20-ish. And whether that, most of the time I start work like 6.45, now I'm doing performance training. So work at the Nike World Headquarters and as well at Broke Performance Therapy with you. Mm-hmm. And I can't thank you enough for setting me up with, with both of those spots, man. Uh, really, I mean, the, the people around both places are amazing. And they've, I mean, it's only made me a better person as well because it's high-level stuff. you got to come with your A game every day. So that's kind of my schedule-wise. Six, 6.30, I start work. And I'm, I try to bring the same type of attitude. You come with a weekly goal or weekly plan. What do you want to accomplish? How can you become better at something? And I know in college, I used to always write it down on a chalkboard or on a dry erase board I had in my room. But now I just use my cell phone. I try to write something down for the week. What's the focus for the week? 
how can I be better? Can I make one kid more confident? Can I help one adult realize their potential? And I think that's like the stuff that that's setting up and writing it down makes me kind of like I was telling you before how if I put it down and I tell somebody, then that forces me, I feel like, to stay with my word. So mm. I do that. six Usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm working with all youth and uh, some college athletes. And then Tuesday and Thursday, I try to use that to better myself. So I do some stuff in the morning, doing some training. But then from that point, I mean, the continued education, uh, training myself, because that's one thing as a trainer now, you have to put so much time into other people. You can't remember to forget about yourself. Self-wealth or self-wealth and health is vital. I mean, if you feel great, you perform great. That's what we used to always say on the field. Same thing in the workforce now. You feel great, you perform great. So that's kind of something that I've been trying to do more of. Self-wealth and health keeps your mind right, keeps your mindset, mentality, everything right. And that's something Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday or Sunday, I always focus on. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday morning is always about what can I do to help other people. And I think that has set me up for pretty good success so far. Now it's really about pushing forward and how do I keep using that same motivation when I played football because, I mean, like I was saying, athletes are prideful athletes. They don't like to get beat. They don't like to make the same mistakes twice. And I don't want to do the same thing now. Like, what's the reason? Before I wanted at one point to be the best defensive back corner in the in the world. And now hopefully one day I could be the best trainer in the world. And that's kind of the same goal. I mean, the the mission changes, but the, the attitude and mindset never changes. I think you learn that as an adult that, especially going from being playing in sports, there's a lot of times where you have to battle adversity. And there's a lot of times where you do everything possible and you don't get the instant gratification you want. You might've lost at the last second of a game, and that just builds you for now as I'm getting older. I'm 27 now. And you learn that sometimes you do everything possible and you don't get it. But does that make you stop what you're doing and forget about the process? Or does that only make you want to work harder? Kind of like how we talked about that Rose Bowl game changed my whole mindset on life. And I go back to that every time now. That's great, man. And, and, and it sounds like, man, you've done a, a fabulous job of taking those same those same core principles that we talked about earlier that gave you success on the field, you're taking it off the field, like being prepared, uh, educating yourself, um, uh, speaking and, and writing out your goals. So then that, so then that puts more onus on you and you can't, and you know, you don't want to let anybody down. You definitely don't want to let yourself down. And it sounds like, man, you're doing the exact things that gave you success on the field now off the field. So that's, I mean, that's great, man. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So when you think back on your experiences growing up, what were the thing or things that really shaped who you are? And what stands out for you as a defining moment? I think number one, my family. I saw my mom and dad, they came from nothing. So it's like, if they can do all that, there's no way to do everything I possibly can. I'm in a much better situation than them. That kind of helps me realize that just like other people, someone's always in a, in a not as good situation as you. So make the best out of your situation. That's number one. Number two is trust the process. That, that's my main, try, try to make that my main thing now. It's like so many times you 
have a plan and all of a sudden the plan isn't exactly what you want week three. So you just change your whole plan. And that's something now that I refuse to do. I'm going to trust the process and continue to trust it because just like when I played sports, I continue to trust the process. And all of a sudden at one point you were at your best and I want to be able to do the same thing here, trust in the process. And the last one I would say really is that commitment to help seeking help because once you seek help, I mean, the sky's the limit, like I was saying before, your potential rises because you learn so much about yourself. You learn how people evaluate you, what your perception is, and you learn about, literally you learn about, once again, you learn about how do you battle through adversity. And I guess those are the three main things I would say as far as is when you say my assessment on how I approach life, I guess those are the three things that I've been doing or trying to do. Those are golden nuggets, Efo. Those are golden, man. That's great. So, all right. So we come to the part of the shark effect where we, we get into the blitz period. So you're familiar with, with practices and right and all that. We have different periods. And so this is the blitz period. So this is when I, I fire off a couple of questions for you. And then you just quickly, you know, uh, hit the open wide receiver. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm good. what um what book are you reading now? Book uh, Atomic Habits. Max, Max artist uh, showed me that book, so I just started that up. Atomic Habits. Yep. Okay. Yep. Atomic. Just learning about daily routine. Love it. How do, how do you relax now? I, I know so so Efo and his wife Christina, um, they're they're pregnant. They're about to have a baby. <laughs> they're about to. Uh, you know, you just bought building a house that's about to finish up. So there's a lot of things that's going on, man. How do you yeah, relax? Yeah. <laughs> relax now. Honestly, don't have much time to relax. So we, I've been going on walks with Christina because she needs it. And I know she wants to get the exercise. It's like some days you get back from work and it's like eight o'clock. You're like, I don't want to go. But then I was like, yeah, I'll go. And then we go on a walk and then you're happy about actually going on the walk. So I think since COVID's hit, going on walks, we've been doing that a lot. Before that time, I would say my biggest thing that I would do is just I would get on, sit, hang out on the couch and watch sports. I would say that kind of was the biggest thing. I don't watch very much sports as much anymore, but basketball is probably my number one sport to watch. Football is probably my number one sport to actually go to and be there. Got it. Got it. Uh, favorite Netflix show? Mm, this year, I would say probably Money Heist. Money heist. Just, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I asked that because like I need to find out new. <laughs> I need to find out some new shows, man. We just, I just got back on to uh, Last Chance You. Ah, see, I haven't even seen that yet, and everyone's shocked when I say that. But yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eventually watch it. I haven't been, I don't really watch Netflix as much anymore. I'm like a YouTube guy, so I just watch YouTube for the most part all day. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Knowing what you know now, being 27. What would you tell your 21-year-old self? Knowing what you 21-year-old, I would tell myself to continue to cherish the moments. It's like you hear that all the time, but stay in the moment that you're in because when you're in college, you're like, oh, well, I'm going to leave this and do this later. Or when you're out of, when you're out of college, oh, I wish I was back in college. It's like, you know, cherish the moments that you're in because I, like I was telling you, I think a couple of weeks ago, it's like, you don't know how long you get to play, so treat every single day like it's, I mean, that cliche word, like it's your last, but 
the same time, enjoy it. Enjoy it for as long as you can. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so last thing, oh, blitz period is done, so you can relax now, okay. Ifo. <laughs> um, any strategies, man? You've been dropping some, some great nuggets for all my listeners. Is there any last strategies or, uh, or any tools to help my listeners become the best version of themselves? Best version of themselves? Or, or, or high performers, right? I would say, I, like I was telling you, the thing I really believe in is how do you become the best when your best is needed? And you have to have steps to get to that point. So mine are find the spirit, find the will to accomplish whatever you want. Then you have position mastery. And so now you start working on your craft consistently. And then let's start talking about executing and being at our best. So I think setting your, going backwards and finding the spirit and will, why do you love what you do? And then go from there. Love it. Ifo, man, thank you so much for being a guest on the Shark Effect. You've, uh, you know, you've enlightened me and I'm sure you've, you've enlightened many of my listeners, man. Thank you very much. No, thank you, man. You've been a huge influence on my life, and I learned a lot from you. So probably a lot of the words I'm saying, you probably told me at one point. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for Higher Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking to transition, whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever, if you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down, I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you gotta understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making that can help you with influencing others and how are you influenced i have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment alignment and adjustment um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter developing your own procedures creating relationship roadmaps using adversity to your advantage right because we all go through tough times but how do you flip it how do you use it to power you, okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just not just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that, that resonate with athletes, but I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different, okay? So make sure, check it out, Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.